We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings. Today we're digging into fantasy football draft strategy in terms of utilizing ADP. Are you going to buy some fear? How do you outmaneuver your opponents? Plus some DFS talk as well and some strategy behind actually building your bankroll for once. Not just losing it all week one then having to go redeposit. How are we going to manage that? What should we be doing differently That's basically what we're talking about today. Plus some training camp news as well. Remember to smash the like button to the episode. Sub to Mayo Media Network if you haven't already. Tell the friends if you want to listen to the audio version. Just search Pat Mayo Experience or just go down to the comment section and description. Hot links are all down there as is the week one DraftKings PME open. There's 5,000 spots available. There's no rake. There's $75,000 of guaranteed money. You can only get three entries. So you may as well reserve your spot now. We're creeping up on 2,000 entries and we're still weeks away from this actually happening so if you want your spot go get it now additionally you want to run projections that's completely free at runthesims.com just log in create a, an account with an email if you want the betting and dfs tools well then it's going to cost you but if you use runthesims.com slash mayo you will get 10 percent off i highly recommend that you go do that if you missed any show so far hit that description the entire draft guide is down there right now joining me on the line to break all of this stuff down for the first time ever on the Pat Mayo Experience from OneWeekSeason.com. And if you use promo code MAYO over at OneWeekSeason.com, you'll get yourself 20% off. Week one is free as well, so you can test the waters, then use promo code MAYO if you like it. I'm sure that you will. It is Jordan Tolene. What's going on, man? What is going on? What a blast to be here with you, Pat. I am excited to dig into all of this. Uh... I am kind of getting back into the swing of doing some video stuff. Um, some people watching this probably used to watch me with Levitan and, and Jeff El Jefe three, two, three years ago, four years ago. Um, yeah, it's fun to, I've kind of taken a break from video the last couple of years. It's fun to be back on here. What a way to break it in, getting back on here with you this week, talking fantasy football, talking DFS, lots of stuff to talk about at this point in the season, especially in regards to all of the overreactions we see at this point. A lot of the mistakes we see people making drafting, 
a lot of the mistakes we see people making carrying that over into DFS. And so, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun to talk about strategy, talk about how to think through these situations and basically how to position our, ourselves so that we're in more plus EV position than our competition, both in DFS and in our fantasy leagues. Well, we're going to start with season long fantasy first. And if you don't care about season long fantasy, easy stuff, hit the time codes, jump straight to DraftKings strategy, and you'll have all your problems solved. Or if you just only care about season long, just watch up till then. Remember to smash the like button, subscribe though, because that's very important to what we do at Mayo Media Network. And like I said, tons of content, hit the description, find it all down there. I want to start with what you just hit on, overreactions. How do you feel like this plays in during training camp because let's just take the hall of fame game for example well josh jacobs played that means he sucks because he played in that game but then you just use the same logic for a different player and the opposite result happens They're like well that means he's no good he's not even on the field with the one so what's the best way to leverage some of these scenarios and how can we parse through what's real and what's not i love this right like this time of year the overreactions are so extreme the probably the best thing you can do is pay attention to training camp news, right? If you're reading what the beat writers are saying from all 32 teams, you're going to be in much better position. But realistically, most people don't have the time to do all of that. So finding a source that can help you keep up to date on what's really happening. Like for example, on OWS right now, we have a deeper context segment where we take the blow giving this player news that kind of leads to the overreactions in the industry. And then we break it down into what the beat writers have actually been saying, what's actually been going on in training camp and how we should process this news. But bigger picture, a lot of times we just, if you think back to previous off seasons, I think about 2019, Darwin Thompson was flying up draft boards as we were leading up to kickoff because he was getting all these positive blurbs from training camps on the Chiefs. I say on the Chiefs because a lot of you might not even remember who Darwin Thompson played for. And Darwin Thompson all of a sudden is getting drafted in the 12th, 13th round, and he's on every team out there. And he ends up not playing at all all season long. And so one of the things we need to realize is a lot of times these training camp reports or the preseason reports, they get blown out of proportion. So you mentioned the Raiders' backfield we have so many unknowns there. So if you're drafting Josh Jacobs in the fifth round, sure, you're probably over drafting him. But if he starts falling in your draft, well, now you get an opportunity to take those unknowns, embrace those unknowns. And basically what we want to understand is when we're drafting, we're drafting to win our league. We're drafting for upside. Think about all the players in your league. You draft 18 players. You end up dropping like six or seven of them two, three, four weeks into the season and picking up new players. It's not awful to take a seventh round guy and have to drop him a few weeks in. But if you take that seventh round guy and he has the role that he had before and that everybody thinks he no longer has, you're now so far ahead of your league mates. And so that opportunity to just think of like, basically to think like a DFS player and say, if there are unknowns, that basically means we are able to access more upside by just being willing to take on that unknown. So the if you don't have the time to follow all the training camp news the staple thought process should just be is everyone reacting hugely to short-term news if so this is probably an opportunity for me to buy some fear for me to embrace some uncertainty and to benefit as a result do you think that works better with players falling down draft boards or players going up draft boards? Because I think there are plenty of examples that we've seen, not so much recently because it feels like the consumer, the average fantasy football player, and with so much media out there now to consume, the people just are a lot sharper than they used to be. But I remember the year that, I think it was the Ray Rice second year, Ray Rice rookie year with the Ravens, that he was being drafted in like the 10th round, 9th round, something that would never happen today. But then as training camp went along, it became clearer and clearer that he was going to be the guy in Baltimore and he ended up going like the third round or something like that. And it was still a fantastic pick. He was a top five guy. We don't see those situations materialize anymore. But the few that I've seen so far recently since training camp started, you have Isaiah Pacheco and you have Damian Pierce. Those two running backs are now skyrocketing up boards. Does that mean that they become undraftable? I mean, once I get to a certain point, I'm sure that's the case. But if they were going from undrafted to players that people want, pick 100, pick 100, 120 pick 95 something like that you just mentioned seventh rounder sometimes you drop them are you willing to gamble on players like that who are just seeing so much steam come out of nowhere over a two-week stretch does that mean people are catching up to where they should have been reacting to the right news or do people just want to find a sleeper 
and that's what they want. Yeah, I mean, let's take those two specific examples. I think that there's a couple things you want to look at. One thing you want to look at is what role is available to this player? What's the risk reward here? So I recently on on my Twitter, which is JM to win, uh, I recently broke down the actual training camp battles that I'm truly interested in, because a lot of times we see all this hype on a player at this point in the season. But really what the hype is, if you're reading the training camp reports is, oh, wow, this guy went from we didn't think he'd have a roster spot to now he might be the number four wide receiver or we weren't factoring this guy in and he might now be the number three running back. And that doesn't really help you all that much once you get to the regular season. The other thing we want to look at is what is the upside on this player? What's the ceiling on this player? So where do we get upside in fantasy? Upside comes primarily, like weak winning upside comes primarily from touchdowns. Offenses that score a lot of touchdowns are likelier to produce touchdowns for their players. Offenses that don't score a lot of touchdowns are less likely to produce touchdowns for their players. That's pretty basic. So take somebody like Pierce. Well, if he keeps flying up draft boards and you're now taking him over established running backs with relatively established roles, like I think that Pierce will take over that backfield in Houston. But then you also have to ask, what is the upside to being the lead back in Houston? Keep in mind, we kind of get lead back mixed up these days. Lead back doesn't mean Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, 90% of the snaps, 95% of the touches. Basically about 25, 26 teams, their lead back plays 65% of the snaps. Other players will still be seeing the ball for the Texans. The Texans will frequently be behind in games. The Texans are not going to be near the top of the league in touchdowns. If we go over to somebody like Pacheco, well, now we have something where like, he probably will start the season as the number three back. Keep that in mind. You're still going to have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. You're probably going to have Jarek McKinnon ahead of him. But neither of those guys, Jarek McKinnon has his injury history. He's an older guy. They're going to, they're not going to play him 60 snaps a game, 60 out of 65 snaps. So you can assume that Jarek McKinnon is going to have a role, but it's going to be a smaller role. And you can assume that Pacheco has a chance to pass Clyde Edwards-Hilaire on the depth chart. So in that instance, I still want to keep in mind what the reality of the situation is. But also, I'll never forget Jamal Charles' rookie season. Do you remember that year? It was uh, Who was the lead back back then? Larry Johnson was the lead back. Yeah, it was the exact, Larry Johnson. It was the exact same situation that happened with Priest Holmes and Larry Johnson about three years beforehand, too. Yep, yep. <laughs> and, and people, you know, Larry Johnson was such an established player that everyone was drafting Larry Johnson. But if you were reading beat writers throughout that season, you saw all of this Jamal Charles talk. It was like Jamal Charles is flashing in practice. Jamal Charles looks excellent. It wasn't until week seven or eight or nine of that year that we're going back over a decade. So I don't have the numbers maybe exactly right, but it was somewhere around that range of that season that Jamal Charles started getting touches and then took over that role. And then they kicked Larry Johnson off the team. And so if we can find a situation like that, where we can say, look, I'm, I'm not going to overhype the hype myself. I'm not going to just assume that Pacheco's stepping in for me in week one. Pacheco's probably on your bench in week one. In August, it doesn't feel like that because of all the hype around this player. But once we get to the regular season, we're going to have a somewhat established pecking order. But it's on an offense where there are going to be touchdowns up for grabs. And it's on an offense where we have kind of a, a backfield that's been in flux for a couple of years. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the perception around him is so different from the reality of him. Why? Well, we want to always understand the roots of anything that we're talking about. That very first game for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was a nationally televised game in week one, and he had a monster game, and I believe it was Sunday Night Football, and it was Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels, and Collinsworth was talking him up, or whoever the announcer was, was talking him up the whole time. And so the perception everyone got was, man, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was this awesome pick for the Chiefs in the first round. He's an awesome running back. And that's the only game he's really had like that. So now, you know, last year he was still being drafted second round, third round. Now all of a sudden people are like, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, get out of here. And we have this chance for somebody else to step up. And it wouldn't be that surprising if, as we get deeper into the season, Isaiah Pacheco is taking over that lead role for the Chiefs. So both of these guys are, are great picks. Both these guys are probably going to have a role. Pierce is likelier to have a role. But you also want to ask, what am I trying to do? 12, 12 teams in your fantasy league, that means you have an 8% chance 
of winning your league. That's still a low percentage chance. So you still want to take these swings on guys who can win you the league. And I see, you know, maybe I'll be wrong on Pierce, right? But I see Pierce is more of like, hey, maybe he fills in and gets you some points. But what are you really trying to get deeper down draft boards? Or if these guys start flying up draft boards, you want a league winner. And so I want to be thinking about all of those components, be thinking about what actually would go into a league winner. And is this guy one of those guys? So yeah, and and again, big picture, that's just kind of like a thought process that you can use for any of these players. What is the ceiling on this guy? What other ceilings are available here? Because a lot of times we see these fresh new names. I'll say it like this. Uh, I said this recently to one of the guys at OWS. I feel like if females were the primary fantasy football players, we'd see a lot less ADP movement. Guys have this tendency to like whatever's the new thing they want to move on to that and the example i used was if you've been in a relationship for a long time the person that you fell in love with when you fell in love with them you loved everything about them all their little quirks stood out to you as something positive the longer you're with someone the easier it is to start getting annoyed at those little things and you start thinking about other people right and it's the same thing in drafting people look at these new names and and they fly up past guys who have established track records like George Pickens flying past Chase Claypool. Well, Chase Claypool has multiple 800-yard seasons. Uh, one of the OWS guys today said he has a four-touchdown game against an actual NFL team. And George Pickens is also going to be great, but like, let's put these things into context and not let the new names just fly past the old names. So always think about what you're giving up in order to draft a player as well, not just what you're taking, but what you're giving up as far as what else is available on the board. Well, let's kind of hit on some of these guys that are falling down the board to see if there's any potential there for the buy. We talked about Josh Jacobs a little bit, that there does become a breaking point where if all of a sudden he's going in the ninth round, it's like, okay, I could see a situation where he's just Josh Jacobs and that's good. And he could have this role to himself. And we're not worried about Amir Abdullah or whoever ends up coming in or Kenyon Drake in this Raiders backfield. But I would say David Montgomery is starting to feel like that a little bit. Antonio Gibson, most definitely, with all of the reports and the you know, week one of the preseason, just just been slander on the guy's name. No one wants to draft him anymore because you know he's going to be cut from the team is essentially what everyone is talking about. And it's still more likely that he is the starting running back going into the year for the commanders. So out of those three guys, those are three running backs normally in a normal year of how we're used to playing fantasy football, that they'd be running backs in what we would call the dead zone of running backs. They would be late third rounders to somewhere in the middle of the fifth round. Somewhere in that range is where they'd be drafted. Now, maybe in some drafts they're still going there, but it seems more and more likely that they're going to start falling past the fifth round if you know, all the negative hype continues. Do they become good buys at some points? And are they the right type of gamble? Because you know what, like, there's no guessing on what the upside or the role could be. It's just, will they have that role? That is now the biggest question for them. Well, yeah, and, and the point you made in that question is the perfect point to explore. There's there's a, a breaking point in the draft where it changes. So if you're taking these guys in the third, fourth round, maybe they pay off as a third or fourth rounder, but do you really need to take on that risk? What's the point, Right. But if you're in a draft, so you don't need to prioritize these guys and say, I really do think that people are undervaluing David Montgomery, for example. And so I'm going to take him. I want to make sure I get him in the fifth round. Instead, let the draft come to you. And if everybody else is passing on this guy in the sixth round, even maybe make it uncomfortable on yourself and wait even longer. Wait till the seventh round. Read the room. Wait till the eighth round if you can. And then you say, okay, what is the ceiling on this guy? Well, the ceiling on this guy is a third round pick. And if they hit that level, now I'm in great shape. So let me break down each of these players individually as well. Josh Jacobs. Well, let's talk about Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels, we always see this in the fantasy space where they say, we've been seeing this lately, the James White role. We've seen that talked about on the Patriots. We've seen that talked about on the Raiders. There, there is no James White role. There was James White. The Patriots, or more specifically, Josh McDaniels, has always developed roles around his players strengths so he's going to take this backfield he's going to take josh jacobs he's going to take zamir white he's going to take Kenyon drake he's going to take amir abdullah he's going to say what do these guys do well let me build their role around them so that's the first thing we we need to understand amir abdullah Kenyon drake are not a challenge to that early down role for josh jacobs zamir white's the only challenge for the early down role so the question there is josh jacobs or zamir white 
somebody is going to be the third down back and it's not going to be Josh Jacobs. So once you understand that, you can basically say, if I'm not taking Josh Jacobs in the eighth round, well, then I better be grabbing Zamir White in like the 15th round because I'm basically saying, if I'm consciously passing on Josh Jacobs here, I'm basically saying, I don't think Josh Jacobs is going to be the lead back. So let me place a bet on Zamir White at an even cheaper price tag in this draft that Zamir White will end up taking that role. If you're wrong, drop the guy a couple of weeks in, pick up somebody else. But give yourself that opportunity to, to understand the actual bet that you're placing. You're not just saying, I don't like Josh Jacobs or I don't want to take on this risk. You're essentially, by passing on him, you are taking a stance that he is not going to be the lead back on early downs. Uh, next guy, David Montgomery. I love David Montgomery. Uh, I like Khalil Herbert as well. I was one of the first people banging the drum on Khalil Herbert last year. And what I kept saying last year was Khalil Herbert's a really strong one cut and go runner. His vision is incredible. Now you bring in Luke Getze. They're going to be basically running this outside zone run scheme where they need a back who can one cut and go. So better all around back, genuinely better all around back, David Montgomery. It's not a question. Better one cut and go runner. It could be Khalil Herbert. So maybe Khalil Herbert ends up stepping up, but also context. Where did all of this David Montgomery falling down the draft board start? It started when David Montgomery took some special teams reps in practice. And if you read the training camp reports, they were on the athletic from Adam Johns and whoever the other guy is. And the reports were basically all positive around David Montgomery. And then it's just this report, like David Montgomery took some special teams reps. We thought that was surprising. And essentially it was more of like, they were painting it as what a good guy this guy is. Like he's just always willing to step in on different spots on the team. He's willing to take reps here. He's willing to do things over here. The day before that report or two days before that report, the beat writers for the bears had been joking, but not really joking that David Montgomery might lead the Bears in receptions this season. They were talking about how many dump-offs he'd gotten from Justin Fields. The offensive line was doing a bad job. Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet are their only real weapons. And defenses are able to kind of isolate those guys. The Bears don't have a great defense. And this was in training camp practices. And so frequently, Mooney and Komet were covered. And so Fields was dumping it off to David Montgomery. So they were saying David Montgomery might genuinely lead the team in catches this year. Three days later, David Montgomery's falling down draft boards. So could Khalil Herbert end up with the lead role? Absolutely. But do we know that right now? No. And so we need to take what we know and what we don't know and kind of combine them together to make the best possible decisions. And in this instance, if David Montgomery is falling, the best possible decision is to say, this guy's still a really good all-around back. Let me take the plunge on him if he's falling down draft boards and recognize that if I'm wrong, I can drop him. If I'm right... I now have a third round pick that I'm getting in the seventh, eighth, ninth round. As for Antonio Gibson, my thought there is I'll keep this one brief, but let's keep in mind, this is not a player who was drafted by a previous regime. This was a player drafted by Ron Rivera, developed by Ron Rivera, given a central role on the team by Ron Rivera for back-to-back -back seasons. And then he fumbles in a preseason game, gets taken out, gets put back in with the second team. Well, that sounds a lot more like a player who they're trying to send a message to because they feel he's important for them this season. Let's think about this. If he were a player that they wanted to cut or trade, and let's realize also a lot of teams would be better at RB1 if they got Antonio Gibson. If he's a player that Washington were wanting to cut or trade, they wouldn't be benching him and making him play with the second team. They would be trying to feature him and make him look really good for other teams. So more than likely, Antonio Gibson still has a central role in this offense. Maybe not as big as last year, but still a role bigger than, say, ninth, tenth round pick, where he might start falling now as this kind of negative Antonio Gibson hype builds up. So again, understanding the context and understanding what you're actually doing in your league is trying to play for first place. Well, now you can start thinking about how do I maneuver this draft board to put as much upside in my pocket as possible? If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, right? It's pretty standard in fantasy to take stances and be like, well, this guy is going to do this. This guy's going to have a great season. This guy's going to have an awful season because that's kind of what helps people build their brand. But let's be realistic. We don't know. And once we can acknowledge that, we can take that uncertainty and use it to our advantage. And that's where we really gain a lot of power is understanding the full context of a situation and then understanding how to use the uncertainty to our advantage 
build some extra upside into our rosters where maybe you get two of these guys and they both perform like third round picks and you just scooped up two extra third round picks on your roster. If you're looking for the complete set of rankings by position in the top overall jumbled together, hit the description. They are all updated there right now to the day. And they get updated with major news and every two days or so up on DKNation.com. I want to continue to talk about these uncertain roles and are there certain situations and like, for example, let's just talk about Alan Lazard and the Packers wide receivers. No one has a clue what's going to happen with the Packers receivers this year. But it feels like they're going to score touchdowns. Aaron Rodgers, I hear, is pretty good. There has to be someone fantasy viable on that team. I've kind of taken my claim with Tunyon, now that he's back off Pup, and Alan Lazard for the price point that he seems to me to be the most likely number one on this team. But it just feels like no one wants to tackle the situation. Like, oh, we've seen Alan Lazard. He's no good. The last time we saw a situation like this in Green Bay, no one really stepped up until Devontae Adams came along. But just because it happened once with different players doesn't mean it's going to happen again, does it? Yeah. You know what's funny, too, is uh, I talked about the Clyde edwards Hilaire perception, right, and how that was built. And when we understand that, we gain so much more of an edge. The perception around Alan Lazard, he was not a highly touted draft pick. He was kind of buried on the depth chart. I don't remember the exact game, but his first game getting significant playing time, he was a revelation on the field. It was like the Packers needed somebody to step up and he stepped up and everyone was like, who's Alan Lazard? And then he kind of played, you know, he went back into the background, gradually played himself into a role. But we have this perception that Alan Lazard is just kind of mediocre. This guy scored eight touchdowns last season. You don't score eight touchdowns as a number two receiver if you're just kind of mediocre. This is a guy who has gotten significantly better every single year. Aaron Rodgers has talked him up every single year. And one thing we forget is that Devontae Adams was not very good early on in his career either. Devontae Adams was just a way to sink money into a DFS roster. If you put Devontae Adams onto a DFS roster his first couple years in the NFL, you just knew that that roster was losing money. Unless I was actually at this game in Green Bay against the Lions, Devontae Adams had 19 targets, only eight catches, I believe was the exact number. And that was able to produce at a level where it was worth having Devontae Adams on your roster because he had 19 targets in that game. So we have to understand that players don't always burst onto the scene like Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase. A lot of times players take a little bit more time to develop. The Packers obviously would have loved to have had Devontae Adams, but the Packers were willing to trade Devontae Adams in part because they felt comfortable with what they had. And Alan Lazard is a big part of that. So I laid out these numbers recently. The Over the last two years, over 60% of the targets on the Packers have gone to wideouts. Over or last season, over 95% of Packers plays had three or fewer wideouts on the field. So if you do the math there, even if you just divide up the 60% of targets among the three wideouts on the field, a lot of times they have two wideouts. Well, that's going to be 20% target share for each of these guys, which would put Lazard on pace for about 70 catches, 900 yards, and six touchdowns. That's if he's just kind of even with the other guys. More than likely, though, he's going to be up at 22% target share, 23 25%. That puts him on pace for over 1,000 yards. That puts him on pace for 8 to 10 touchdowns. That puts him on pace to be a third-round pick next season. Alan Lazard is one of my favorite picks right now. Just taking that uncertainty of saying, and it's almost like everyone on the Packers is being drafted below where they should be drafted, every pass catcher. And so people are just kind of thinking, well, yeah, if we do the math and calculate out Aaron Rodgers' stats for the season and then distribute those to pass catchers, basically all these guys should be drafted a little bit higher. But because of the uncertainty, we're just going to let them drop in the draft. Well, if other people are doing that, we can take advantage of that. Again, turn it into concrete numbers. Say, well, what, what would the numbers look like at the end of the season? What would that have to mean on a per-game basis, basis or a usage basis? And all of a sudden, Lazard starts to look really good. And honestly, I think that Lazard, on top of just the role, I think he's a much better pass catcher than most people give him credit for. And I love the call on Tunyon, too, because the, people forget about tight ends. People forget that, you know, we see Marquise Brown flying up draft boards in Arizona, whereas Zach Ertz is kind of static. We see C.D. Lamb getting drafted in the late first, early second round. 
Whereas Dalton Schultz is kind of static. Jalen Tolbert's flying up draft boards. Dalton Schultz is kind of static. People forget about tight ends and the fact that tight ends can step in and fill in these pass catcher roles as well. And so, yeah, that Green Bay offense is just one that I think that people are really getting wrong and gets an opportunity to get some some strong value deeper down the draft board. What are some other situations, be it a receiving core or a backfield, that has a lot of uncertainty around it that you think that has potential huge upside? Like we talked about the Texans. If Pierce wins that, how good is Pierce going to be anyway? But let's take like the Dolphins backfield, for example. If someone could emerge as being the 65% snap running back in the Dolphins backfield and they operated as the full-time goal line back and then part-time and other things, throw a few catches in there. That seems like a role based on what we know from the new offense that could end up with like 12, 13 touchdowns, something you would want on your fantasy team. But even I'm looking here being like, man, I don't want any Dolphins running back, maybe Chase Edmonds, but you know, we'll see about that. Yeah. The interesting thing there, right. Is it feels like there's so many guys. Miles Gaskin isn't what, what isn't Mike McDaniel's guy. So and Miles Gaskin isn't very good. He's, you know, number 30, 31, 32 out of the starting running backs the last couple seasons. So let's assume Miles Gaskin does not win this role. Another guy whose perception is much greater than the reality of his play. So I grew up in Boston. I've watched every Patriots game the last 20 years, last 30 years. Uh, Sony Michelle is not that great. Sony Michelle was a first round pick. And so the perception around him is that of a first round pick. People still hold on to that. But Sony Michelle is fine. He's a fine running back, but more than likely he's not taking over this role. We, I mean, we watched him with the Rams last year. We watched everybody get hyped up about him going to the Rams. I had a bunch of him in best ball because I just drafted the whole Patriots backfield. Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, Sony Michelle, just take all the guys and it's best ball. So you can just let it all play out. When he was traded to the Rams, it was like, great. I got this guy in the 18th round. All of a sudden he's getting drafted in the 12th round, the 11th round. Well, this guy doesn't deserve to be drafted that high in any draft. Unknowns. Chase Edmonds is an unknown. Raheem Mostert is just kind of going ignored because people think, well, this guy had this one special season with the 49ers and then he's been hurt. And can he really do it again? He came out of nowhere originally. Well, how many times did Mike Shanahan offenses, Kyle Shanahan offenses have running backs who kind of came out of nowhere and produced? So I think Raheem Mostert and Chase Edmonds are the guys to look at here. And I also think this is a lesser used strategy in season long than in best ball, but you could draft two of these guys, right? In best ball, you can say, let me just draft all these guys and one of them will produce. You can't do that in season long because you have to choose who to start. But if we assume that somebody will emerge as the starter, the price tags on these guys are cheap enough that you could say, let me take Chase Edmonds. Let me take Raheem Mostert. One of these guys will emerge as the primary starter by week four or five, and I'll know who that guy is, and I can just start him the rest of the way. So that's one way to handle it there. And then, yeah, think about the offense. Think about the role and and the upsides. One of these guys is going to outperform their draft slot. Maybe I'm wrong on Sony Michelle, right? If you like Sony Michelle, take a shot on him. The point isn't the players so much as it's the strategy. If we focus too much on predicting exactly what's going to happen on all these players, we end up setting ourselves back. If we focus a little bit more on the strategies, then we understand, let me just figure out how to take this uncertainty, use it to my advantage. Here are some ways that I can do that. So yeah, that's a backfield. Uh, Other spots, right? Undervalued offenses just in general, the Lions, the Giants. These are teams with bad defenses, which means that they're going to be chasing points. Furthermore, the Giants, not only do they have a bad defense, they brought in Wink Martindale to be their defensive coordinator. If you don't know Wink Martindale, he was at the Ravens for a long time. And his whole thing is just sending blitzes, exotic blitzes all the time. So sometimes that leads to big plays for the defense. But also when you don't have strong defensive pieces, that leads to big plays for the opposing offense. So already the Giants have kind of mediocre talent. Then they're going to be sending all these blitzes. They're going to be making mistakes in the back end and giving up big plays from time to time. They're going to have some games where they give up a lot of points. And then, you know, I was the one of the first people on that Bills offense in 2018. Why? Well, I was watching the games and it was like, this Brian Dable offense is like really well designed. And what I said at the time was, it is. It, it doesn't run smoothly. The timing is off. The It's a little bit clunky. Josh Allen's still figuring it out. But the concepts are tremendous. It was like, this guy is one of the best offensive coordinators in football. And it was really clear. 
So it's going to be the same thing with the Giants this year. They're going to have some clunky games. But also, Josh Allen put up – now, Daniel Jones is not Josh Allen, but Josh Allen put up 45 points against the – 45 fantasy points, I think DraftKings points, against the Dolphins in week 17 of his rookie season. And keep in mind that Josh Allen's rookie season was pretty ugly as a whole. So just to say there is upside in this offense, there are going to be spiked weeks in this offense. Same thing with the Lions, right? They've got really good pieces. Jared Goff, there was a couple of years ago, a few years ago, the Rams scored 30 plus points in, I think it was 14 out of 16 games. Do you know how impossible that is? Teams don't do that. The Chiefs don't do that. Jared Goff was the quarterback of that team. Now, Sean McVay makes a difference, but not enough of a difference that now Jared Goff just sucks, right? Jared Goff wasn't great at the start of the year last year, got comfortable in the offense, looked really good down the stretch last year, and all the reports have been glowing on him this season. And so all of a sudden you look at, yeah, sure, Amon Ross St. Brown, everybody's taking him, everybody's taking DeAndre Swift, but what about TJ Hawkinson? What about Jamison Williams when he comes back healthy, whether that's week five or six or whenever it is, and he has an opportunity to blow up. So be thinking about these offenses that everybody just kind of writes off and these offenses that are going to be forced to stay aggressive. And we find opportunities to, yeah, get these, get these draft picks that are falling down the draft board again because of uncertainty. And we can just identify where that uncertainty is and how we can use it to our advantage. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What do we do about players whose role has been previously established, but we haven't seen in a while? And primarily, I'm talking about Michael Thomas, because I feel like this is going to be a hinged decision for a lot of people in drafts right now. Early sixth round, late fifth round. Is Michael Thomas still someone that could be a top five wide receiver, or, is, or are those days gone? And 
it was a time when he was going in the ninth round, the tenth round, if we didn't know he was going to play. Well, now it looks like he's going to play, and it looks like he's healthy enough, at least based on reports out of New Orleans. These are some of the trickier decisions when you talk about buying fear. I feel like he is someone I want to buy, but am I just deluding myself into thinking like, hey, this is Michael Thomas from two and a half years ago? The number of questions on this one. There's so many layers, right? Sean Payton's gone. So what is Pete Carmichael's offense going to look like? Jameis Winston is here, but last year, Jameis Winston was in a very different offense. Last year, they very, I mean, every one of Jameis's pass catchers last year is now a backup, right? So that's the, the talent level he was working with last year. And when we think about how good NFL defenses are, it's hard to win with a stable of backup pass catchers. So we can look at it and say, well, last year they were run-based and they really focused on the short passing attack and they tried to do all this to, what was it, Jameis damage control to try to prevent him from attacking downfield and throwing too many interceptions or was it just based on their personnel? So back in, I think it was April or May, Peter King had a basically a breakdown of the Saints and had a report where he said the Saints are, I'll paraphrase, but essentially the Saints are going to be pass heavy this season. And we've seen a few more trickles of that this summer out of Saints beat writers. So there's one thing that we don't necessarily know, but we we have a little bit of light shining on it, is the offense will probably be different from last year. Jameis had a 5,000-yard passing season. Now he threw over 30 interceptions in that season, but Jameis can... Sh- fire the ball, right? Like Jameis can support elite wideout production. But then we also don't know about Michael Thomas's health. Like if Michael Thomas is himself, and I believe I might be wrong on this, is he 29 years old? We might need fact check on that, but like he's not at the wide receiver cliff. So as long as his ankle is healthy, well, talent wise, as far as his route running, his understanding of leverage, his understanding of how to read the defense and position himself correctly, he's a top five wide receiver. Then we also don't know how good is Chris Olave going to be in his rookie season? How much of the underneath stuff is Jarvis Landry going to take away? How much of the underneath stuff is Alvin Kamara going to take away? So for me, fifth, sixth round, I think I'm still taking Michael Thomas because he has the upside of a first or second round pick. Will he perform at that level in a new offense with Jameis under center and all these other elements that we're having to take into account? Most most likely no, right? But even if he performs like a third or fourth rounder, you're getting so much value here. It would be almost impossible for him, him to have another 147 catch season or whatever that was because that's just not the offense that they're going to be running. And Jameis doesn't have that precision pinpoint short area accuracy that Drew Brees had. But one thing that people kind of overlooked about Michael Thomas in those earlier years was his production came from volume. He wasn't used downfield a whole lot. It wasn't that he couldn't be used downfield. It was that that's where Drew Brees' arm was at that point. So now what if we say, yeah, but maybe Michael Thomas has more of a downfield role than he had in the past. So he catches 90 balls, 110 balls instead of 140 something. But he's catching passes 12 yards down the field instead of seven yards down the field. He's getting some big plays. He's getting some 170 yard games because He's breaking some long plays, right? So for me, I think that in that fifth, sixth round, and you compare him to the other players, you know, you talked about that dead zone for running back, that third to fifth round area. Well, if you're kind of deciding between one of these running backs or kind of one of these question mark wide receivers or Michael Thomas, I'm still comfortable with Michael Thomas there. Now, if he's falling into the ninth round, or if you drafted earlier this summer and you're still watching this for whatever reason, and you got him in the ninth round, well, yeah, now you were in great shape, right? And that was kind of, for me in best ball, it was like, let me stop on Michael Thomas once he moved up above the eighth round because I already had so much of him in the eighth round or late seventh round. But if I'm in a 12-man fantasy draft and only one team gets Michael Thomas and I can get him in the fifth or sixth round, I'm willing to take that plunge. Also, if you have faith in some of these, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster who's going to be used much deeper down the field. He's going to be used at all levels of the field instead of just a short area role as he was with Steelers. If you can get Juju, if you can get Michael Thomas, if you can get Alan Lazard, 
you have leeway to be wrong on one of these guys. But if you're right on even two of them, you multiply the power of your team by so much. And so, yeah, I mean, the upside of Michael Thomas compared to the upside of some of the other players available here, there's still a difference there. I think that the risk has him viably in that fifth to sixth round area. Like if he's in the third round, I don't want to draft him there because then I'm drafting him for his ceiling. And if he misses, now I'm falling back. But if he's still falling to the fifth or sixth round, I, I think he's a super sharp pick just because, yeah, we don't know. But if we take everything into account, this is still one of the better picks you can make in that area. Just to recap some of the ADP movers over the past week or so that are currently going inside the top 100, Quarterbacks are kind of going up the list. Like Jalen Hurts is up to quarterback number six, pick number 80 overall. I still love Jalen Hurts at that spot. Uh, Justin Herbert's all the way up to like number 58 right now. I think I just wait and take Jalen Hurts uh, if we're going to be drafting quarterbacks. I still want to get an elite guy, but as late as possible. Cam Akers is down to running back number 19, pick number 45. J.K. Dobbins is going at pick number 51. He's up a few spots, but some of the ones that really stuck out to me Devin Singletary's down to pick number 88 overall. Cordero Patterson's up, but he's still number pick number 92. And then you have Michael Thomas is up to pick number 60 now. Alan Lazard up to pick number 74. Brandon Ayuk is probably the biggest riser of all these guys up to pick number 84. And I do really like Ayuk this year, but I found it strange that Kadarius Toney actually has fallen over the last week, around four or five draft slots. He's now going around pick number 85 to 90. You talked about the Giants receiving core as potential upside plays, spike plays. I don't think it's going to be Galladay. I feel like he's a bit washed at this point. Maybe I just have a bad read on that. So that leaves us with Kadarius Toney and Wendell Robinson, the two that are running with all the ones on the field at all times. Those guys, to me, feel like a really good gamble. Agreed. 100%. I love Wondell Robinson. I love Kadarius Tony. Uh, the question marks around Tony are just basically, is he committed? It's what we saw last year. Brandon Ayuk had that great rookie season. Last year, we all expected him to have a strong follow up, outperform what he had done his rookie year. And then he was in Shanahan's doghouse for five or six games to start the season. And it had nothing to do with his performance. It had to do with his practice performance. Shanahan felt that Ayuk didn't take every single daily practice rep seriously, didn't take them like game reps. And there's been this whole process with Ayuk of going from, you know, basically a non-professional to a professional to now being kind of a team leader, getting into fights with Fred Warner at training camp and so on and so forth. So the question with Kadarius Tony is, is this guy committed? Is he learning the offense? Is he showing up every day ready to practice his hardest? Is he getting better every day like the rest of the team? As I mentioned, this, this Dable offense is going to look a little clunky at times early in the season. The timing is going to be off. So they need somebody who can keep improving throughout the season as the team itself keeps improving throughout the season. So Kadarius Tony is a little bit more of a gamble than Wondell Robinson for me, just because Robinson, you can draft him so much later. And Dable drafted him. The beat writers have loved watching him. They've said that it's very clear, you know, the knock on Robinson getting drafted was, did the Giants draft him too early? This guy's small. This guy doesn't really profile as a guy who can step in and produce right away. And then once the beat writers started watching training camp, it was like, oh, Dable drafted him with a very specific plan in mind. He knew exactly how he wanted to use Wondell Robinson. They're going to have plays designed for him. He's going to be on the field all the time. I think Kadarius Tony has even more explosive upside on a per play basis. He's going to be on the field just as much, but we're getting him, you know, at a higher draft slot. So we have to put a little bit more draft capital into him. That said, either one of these guys, the ceiling on them is so high. The ceiling on Kadarius Tony is maybe not in this offense, which won't be a, a great offense, but the ceiling on him, let's say two years from now is like a second round pick. That's how good this guy is capable of being. And that's how good this offense is capable of being. So I think that both of these guys, especially in terms of you get them, you sit them on your bench a little bit. You're not necessarily relying on them right away, but deeper into the season, once things get established and this offense gets going, these guys could be consistent producers. And one, one thing we're going to see, I, I love what you said about Galladay and, and Daniel Jones isn't a guy who's going to attack downfield on a, a, tightly covered player. Well, Kenny Galladay doesn't get separation. The signing of Kenny Galladay, another Gettleman special, the signing of Kenny Galladay made no sense for this offense. 
Dable is going to realize that. And what he's going to do is he's going to try to get Kadarius. I mean, I said it last year, uh, Kadarius Tony's 32 point game in DFS. I said that week, Jason Garrett's bad at a lot of things, but one thing he's good at is just figuring out who his good players are and giving them the ball relentlessly. And I said that week, I said, Jason Garrett's just going to get Kadarius Tony the ball in space as much as he possibly can. Well, I think that we're going to see a lot of the same thing from Brian Dable this year. He's going to get Saquon the ball in space. He's going to get Robinson the ball in space. He's going to get Tony the ball in space. These guys are going to have some monster games. They're going to have some 30, 40 yard games, but they're going to have some games where they put up 130, 140 receiving yards just because it just takes them breaking one play. And if they keep getting the ball in space, think about those big AJ Brown games, Debo Samuel games where they catch a short pass and turn it into a 60, 70 yard gain. All of a sudden that's an extra seven points that you're getting. So we're going to have some games like that from Kadarius and Wondell Robinson. And I think that especially with the Giants probably chasing points, a lot of these games puts you in great shape to take the upside on these guys. It's time to talk about DraftKings. And since we're on the Giants, it does seem like every Giant is a value week one on DraftKings that I wouldn't be super stunned if all of a sudden Daniel Jones is going to be the highest owned quarterback in the Millionaire Maker. Yeah, Wondell Robinson is 3K in yeah. week one. So you take a guy like that and it opens up so much on your roster. And obviously we always want to be thinking about how we can, depending on the tournament size that you're in, how we can be doing something different from the field. But I think that one thing people get confused on as they're really understanding DFS strategy is they're either doing the same thing everybody else is doing, which makes it pretty impossible to win, or they are trying to do too many things different. So it's like, well, this guy will be highly owned. This guy will be highly owned. This guy will be highly owned. I have to avoid all of them. You really only need to press one or two buttons that are totally different from what everybody else is pressing. Ideally, from a salary allocation standpoint, so that the, your roster as a whole kind of looks different. As soon as you've done that, you're in good shape. So even if some of these guys get steamed up to a point where everybody's on Daniel Jones or everybody's on Wondell Robinson or Kadarius Tony, you can still take the values on these guys and look for opportunities to differentiate yourself elsewhere. You can think, okay, if every let, let's say that Wondell Robinson, we get closer to the season, it starts looking like he's going to be 15% owned in the Millie Maker. Well, that doesn't mean you can't have Wondell Robinson. You just have to recognize if everyone is saving this much salary at one wide receiver spot, what does that mean? They all have salary to spend somewhere else. Where are they spending that? Is it Christian McCaffrey? Well, if everybody's going Wondell Robinson and Christian McCaffrey, Maybe you go one or Wondell Robinson, Christian McCaffrey, Wondell Robinson, Jonathan Taylor. Maybe you go Wondell Robinson, Derrick Henry. People aren't going to want to pull the trigger on Derrick Henry in week one because they're going to be, you know, there's uncertainty. There's, well, this guy's just coming back from injury. We didn't really see him for all those games last year. Is Derrick Henry still the same? Those are the season long question marks that we enter week one with. Is it worth still drafting Derrick Henry at the top of the first round? You know, is he going to tail off throughout the season? Well, it's week one. He's fresh week one. So you kind of just say, well, if everybody is doing Wondell Robinson, this you press this button, it means that everybody has extra salary. They're going to spend it in one of these handful of places. Well, then we can either say, well, we'll do things differently and go kind of mid-pricing or mid-high pricing on some of these other guys, or we'll take a different high price guy than everybody else is taking. So yeah, we can take these undervalued guys and not even worry about the ownership on them as long as we are thinking strategically through the other spots on our roster and what our clearest path to first place is as a result. I think that's very well said because I just went to runthesims.com slash mayo for 10% off at run the sims and the baseline projections that are in there I haven't made any customizations to anything that I want to have as of yet so I just ran what are the optimal lineups what are the highest projected lineups that I can build still two weeks out from the season the projections are going to change but I believe that let's see here 11 of the top 14 lineups have Daniel Jones as their quarterback so if I mean obviously he's a good value at this point of the season so I like what you said about potentially going on to Derrick Henry because I think that there are two things that we need to consider and why week one is a little bit different potentially than the rest of the season on DraftKings. Like Wendale Robinson, $3,000. It feels like when you have the chalk guy at $3,000 in week seven at receiver, not running back, receiver or tight end, whatever it may be, because they have stepped into a role that they previously did not have because of injury. That's really the only time that you're ever going to see that. Now, in week one, that can be a legitimate misprice because the pricing came out so early that the information hadn't caught up to the price and the price can't change once it's released. So I always feel like the 
the buzzworthy, the chalkier, low-end $3,000 receiver is usually just an auto-fade for me, whether they hit or whether they not. I mean, sometimes they do hit. Obviously, that's why people continue to play these players. But the buzzworthy $3,000 receiver in the new role doesn't translate the same way as running backs do when you get the $4,000 running back and all of a sudden the two guys ahead of him get hurt. It's like, well, he's going to touch the ball 25 times now. Just because... To use an example, I know it's not a $3,000 guy, but just because Alan Lazard is now playing the Devontae Adams role doesn't mean he's Devontae Adams all of a sudden. It doesn't even make him 80% Devontae Adams. They could just go in a completely different direction. So is week one different than the rest of the season that way, at least for cheap wide receivers? Yeah, you speak to so many important things there, and that's the value of opportunity and certainty. So... The certainty on a cheap running back in a starting role is he's going to touch the ball X number of times, whatever it is for that offense, 16 times, 20 times, 22, 23 times. And it is just so difficult to match the point per dollar range of production you can get on that guy. So even if that guy hits his lower range, what we want to do is not try to over predict things. We want to understand what best positions us for first place. It's okay to take that 4k running back and end up getting 12, 13 points because people who are taking it, let's say it's week seven, right? People who are taking that 4k wide receiver, most of them are also getting the same score. There's going to be 1% of the field that's hitting on the right cheap wide receiver that gets 20 points. And if this running back gets 22 points and you don't have them, you're behind half the field already. That's a place where you can say, yeah, let me just stick with them. Wide receivers, though, are so dependent on so many different things. They're dependent on game flow. They're dependent on the quarterback getting them the ball. They're dependent on producing at a high level with the ball in their hands. If we assume that a lot of Wondell Robinson's work is going to be short area work, well, it would be very easy for him to catch five passes for 30 yards, right? We can have a LaVisca Chenault line on our hands. He catches five passes for 30 yards. He gets everybody eight points and that doesn't kill their roster for 3K. But if we're talking about first place, which is literally all we should be thinking about in DFS because that's where all the money is. And if we're talking about first place, eight points isn't going to get us there. We're looking for guys across our roster who can get us 20, 25, 30 points. Also, we want to think about what everybody else is doing and what we can do to separate our roster, right? So if 11 out of 14 rosters on, on Run the Sims are coming up with Daniel Jones and the optimal, well, that means that people are going cheaper quarterback. And if they're like, they're like, well, I'm not going to do Daniel Jones, I'll pivot to a different cheaper quarterback. What's going to be really hard for people to do is pull the trigger on Patrick Mahomes or pull the trigger on Justin Herbert or pull the trigger on Lamar Jackson. These higher priced guys, because they feel like they're giving up so much value. It's like, well, this guy's so underpriced. We can pull the same thing over to wide receiver. It's going to be hard in week one to pay 5K plus for every wide receiver on your roster. It's going to feel like you're doing DFS wrong because everybody else is getting these 3K wide receivers. Paris Campbell, I think is 3,300. Uh, Wondell Robinson is 3K. There's some other guys under 4K. So if everybody else is taking these cheaper wide receivers and you're paying, you're getting, I think Juju's 5,200, Lazard is 5,600, and you're getting all these guys on your roster. Well, now all of a sudden you're like, well, I'm overpaying and sacrificing in other spots. But what you're really doing is getting a very different roster construction from everybody else. So if everything falls apart for the field, you're now competing against a much smaller group of rosters on your path to first place. And so, yeah, thinking about the difference between a cheap wide receiver and a cheap running back is so important. I remember 2019 was Tajay Sharp's rookie season and all this training camp buzz. And then all of a sudden we get to week one, everybody's on Tajay Sharp. Same thing last year with Mark, uh, Marcus Colston. Um, you know, everybody's on this guy week one because he's so underpriced. And then he disappoints, and now 30% of the field doesn't have a shot at first place because they all did the exact same thing. The salary on the rest of their roster kind of fell similarly as a result, so they all have similar rosters elsewhere. And they just didn't pick up enough points to head for first place. You skipped that one move, and now you're competing against only 70% of the field for first place. You paid off the rake plus some, and you're in much better shape. And so, yeah, thinking about the difference between it can feel so certain in the summer when everyone's talking about this wide receiver. But once we look back on a week, we realize how many things everybody gets wrong. So 
recognize before we head into the week that things are always more uncertain than everyone thinks, especially on pass catchers where so many things have to break in their favor in order for the points to fall exactly the way you need, need them to fall. So at OneWeekSeason.com, and again, code Mayo, you can get yourself 20% off on that. It's a perfect compliment to RunTheSims.com slash Mayo, 10% off on that. And someone has described it to me that with your articles that you post up there, that's the one thing about Run The Sims. It's, it's tools. It's projections. It's manipulating all of the numbers to get what you want. With One Week Season, you are giving your takes on all of this. And I liked what you said earlier on about potentially pivoting off of Christian McCaffrey onto Derrick Henry, onto Jonathan Taylor, and making your team unique that way. That One of the biggest things that I'd always do would be like, well, I'm going to pivot off of the cheap $3,500 guy to some other $3,500 guy, where you're just pivoting from a guy who might suck to a guy who probably does suck, rather than the highest end guys possible that in any given week that this guy can absolutely annihilate this. Like Nick Chubb is weirdly a good version of that because he's always perpetually under owned. He underperforms a lot of the time, but when he performs, it's he's off to the races and he has like 30 DraftKings points. And it's like, oh yeah, probably should have seen that one coming. Then everyone plays him and he's horrible the next week. And then he goes back to being super low owned again. But the way it was described to me as the most practical and useful version of what you do at oneweekseason.com is to basically beat the optimals uh, in higher stakes contests and smaller field tournaments that there's just such a collection of players who play so much money every single week. And what they do is run an optimizer. They take the optimal lineup, maybe tweak it a little bit to the one they like the best, and they just play that $100,000 in every single contest, whatever it might be. And what you're the best at doing is looking at what those optimal lineups are and making the creative pivots necessary to beat those guys in particular at the higher stakes level or not necessarily even at the higher stakes level, at the smaller size tournament level because there's only so much you can do before luck becomes a factor in the millionaire maker when you're competing against 200,000 different people. But if you can isolate a tournament with a limited number of people, these are the decisions that really pay off, don't they? Yeah, 100%. And first of all, I want to say uh, I love Run The Sims and we're actually going to be uh, featuring some tools from Run the Sims on OWS this year. We have a call with Run the Sims this afternoon to kind of keep working through the details on that. And like you said, Run the Sims, you get the tools. OWS, you get the content. And what we're primarily focused on, one thing I often say is DFS is not a game of picking players. That's not the edge. The edge is understanding the roster construction techniques that puts you way ahead of everybody else, that change your expected value from being, you know, basically even with the field, which is losing money over time because of the rake, to being ahead of the field where there's just a massive edge over time. And so once you understand the techniques for roster construction, like, like Pat, like you said, pivoting from this one cheap guy who might suck to another cheap guy who probably definitely does suck because nobody's on him for a reason, that's rarely going to get you up to first place. But when you recognize what, you know, we have an article each week called The End Around, and Hilo, our game theory expert, he's taking game theory courses at Harvard and Yale, and uh, he breaks down essentially what the typical roster construction will be for that week and all of the ways that we can pivot our roster construction. So now we're just doing something very different. What I always say is when things break our way, we want to be positioned for them to break all the way our way. Because again, only first place matters. So if you're in any of these, for me, it's anything really 10,000 entries or below. You have such an edge in just kind of, well, well same thing in the Millie Maker, but the Millie Maker, you have to take some crazy shots on things. But anything 10,000 entries and below, I call them bankroll building contest. Because over time, you can just consistently find the roster construction edges to consistently be building up your money, be finishing high up draft boards, be finishing in first place. And the way that you do that is understanding not the players, not what players to pick, but roster construction. So on OWS, we break down every game on the slate in the NFL edge. It's an article I used to write at Roto Grinders in the premium content area. When we launched OWS, it was our paywalled content game by game breakdown. Now we've added so much stuff to the site that we make most of the NFL Edge available to OWS free members, which OWS free is free. So if you're even a season long player, that's tremendously valuable because we break down how each team is likely to attack that game and what that means for likely as game flow and for player production as a result. But then in addition to that, in addition to actual slate prep 
and we have some articles that are slate prep articles. But what we primarily focus on is just helping you learn to become a better DFS player. Most of our content is focused on strategy. It's focused on education. It's focused on understanding how to build better rosters than the field. Because realistically, you don't even need to know anything about the NFL. A lot of really sharp DFS players don't know anything about the sports they're winning money in. They just understand strategy and theory. They can look at run the Sims, then they can look at ownership projections, and they can understand, oh, okay, well, if this guy is projected here and his ownership is way down here, now I can do this. Or if this, this guy is at this price point, at this high ownership, let me change the way I'm building my roster and incorporate these things. If everyone's on Jonathan Taylor, let me bet on an alternate game flow in which the Colts fall behind and are passing. If everyone's on Jonathan Taylor and the Colts have to pass a lot, all of a sudden, you've got 25% of the field, their rosters are hurt from Jonathan Taylor not producing. And as you pull that lever, right, all these rosters are being hurt, you pull this other lever where you benefit directly as a result from having the Colts passing attack. So it's thinking about these roster construction techniques of how do we get first place finishes? And that's frankly why we have so many first place finishes across our, our team members at OWS is because, not because we know the players so well, although we do know the players well, but because we know how to put those players onto rosters that are better built than what 90% of people are doing and they give us a better shot at first place as a result. So that's really the focus on one week season. Again, as Pat mentioned at the top, we make everything free week one. So come on by and check it out for week one, but also 20% off if you use the code Mayo. And we have uh, our DFS subscription and our inner circle. Inner circle is really focused uh, on training. So we have all of our DFS stuff plus a bunch of training stuff throughout the week, every single week and extra articles, strategy notes on our ownership projections. So it's not just the ownership projections, but like, how do we use these ownership projections? What, what does it mean for this player? Where can we pivot? Where can we gain an edge? So looking at those types of things to really change our roster construction techniques and change our path to first place so that we're getting there more often. Jordan Tolene at JM2Win on Twitter, oneweeksseason.com, code mail, to get that 20% off. But check it out for free in week one to see if it is for you. And I bet you it's going to be for you. Runthesims.com slash mail for 10% off all the betting and DFS tools as well. Thanks for being on, man. This is a lot of fun. You're going to have to come back. It was a blast. I am here anytime you want me. It'll be fun. Now, we talked about our time difference, so that we, we have to find the right day for it, I think. Yeah, yeah, we're a four-hour time difference, so we're going to have one of these where one of us is doing this at nighttime. <laughs> well, you think that you, I would be better at DFS than you because I'm in the future and you're in the past, and somehow you're still beating me all the time. Ah, so. ah, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. There you go. I know, it's tough stuff. At the PME on Twitter for myself, Pat Mayo Experience, audio podcast on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. Go subscribe to that now, sub to the channel. For the video, Mayo Media Network, easy stuff, and smash the like on the way out. You're looking for the draft kit that's down in the description, as is the week one DraftKings PME Listeners League. $75,000 of rake-free guaranteed money. It's going to fill very quickly. It's almost like 25% full now. Actually, it's over 25% full now. So you better go reserve your spot. You don't have to fill your team yet. You can if you want to, but I'm just going to reserve my three spots and go on my way, come back in week one, and try to get my hands on some of that reek-free money, and so should you. I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you all for watching. I'll see you next time. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.